This is episode 56 of Sunday Morning Manga for Sunday, February 4, 2024. It is not safe for work. Let's get started. Welcome to Sunday Morning Manga. I am Derek S. McGrath. My pronouns are he, him, his. You can find a transcript and links from today's episode at derekSmcgrath.wordpress.com. Contributions are appreciated at coffee.com slash derekSmcgrath. Purchases from my Amazon wishlist are also appreciated. And you can email me at derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. I live stream on Sundays at 11 a.m. Eastern on Twitch and YouTube at Derek S. McGrath. A podcast version is then available the following Sunday at 6 a.m. Eastern, wherever you get your podcasts. Early access to the podcast and other works in progress are available at patreon.com slash Derek S. McGrath. The next episode will be a live reaction to chapter 136 of Blue Box, which if you, like me, skim today's chapter, chapter 135, I'm kind of glad I didn't do a live reaction to that chapter. There would be emotions and tears. You can listen to that episode about Blue Box on February 11th at 11 a.m. Eastern. But today we're doing a live reaction to chapter 193 of Undead Unluck. And we will talk about the anime adaptation as well. The series is written and illustrated by Yoshifuma Tozuka, translated into English by David Evelyn, with lettering by Michelle Pang. Undead Unluck is licensed by Viz and can be read at viz.com. And the anime adaptation is directed by Yuki Yase, written by Yamato Hajima, with music by Kenichiro Suikiro, animated by David Production and produced by TMS Entertainment. Undead Unluck is distributed by Disney and can be watched on Hulu. And Disney should stop catering to the fucking right-wing fascists, but we'll get political at the end of today's episode. Last time I talked about Undead Unluck was on June 25th, 2023 in episode 43, covering chapter 164. I also wrote about Undead Unluck on November 12th, 2023, about chapter 183, and ugh, that was gross. A short version, chapter 183 was about Rip doing a surprise double wedding to the siblings Latla and Layla without telling either of them beforehand. I refer to this as faux sentimentality that felt more like a harem fantasy rather than any serious consideration about polyamorous relationships or even the feelings of the two people he is marrying that he waited to reveal he was marrying until the wedding itself. So that's the short version. You can read the entire post. Link is in the description. In any case, the last time I talked about Undead Unluck was in June 2023, and since that time, there has been an anime that already has 17 episodes, so let's talk about the anime briefly. This won't be an exhaustive episode-by-episode discussion, just highlighting the most superficial of initial reactions to what I have watched. This will mostly focus on the animation, pacing, and character designs. I won't be getting into the Japanese or English casting and dubbing, so let's just bullet point what does and doesn't work, including some very subjective complaints that the series doesn't have to answer for, but that I'm bringing up anyway because I'm being subjective. First point, 
I had to agree with most of what James Beckett at Anime News Network has said about some of the anime, that the pace is really slow in spots. I'll go one step further than Beckett and say that the slower pace has made a lot of the series pretentious. This is a problem I tend to have with David production anime since first watching any of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, in that their works, especially after bringing in animators from Shaft, is that so many touches feel less like they contribute to the theme, message, tone, characterization, or plot progression, and instead come across as moments that the animation studios want to stop the series dead in its tracks to insist that you look at the pretty animation and be in awe. I have been one of the worst people to talk about animation, and this is my own personal hang-up, but if I wanted to be in awe with every frame of animation, I would be reading the original comic or looking at museum pieces. The point of animated works, whether live-action film or this kind of animation, is the motion and forward momentum of the story. Not these tiresome moments that you insist you keep watching nothing happening. I felt this way just a little bit in the first moments of episode one of the anime. And yet, at least the juxtaposition all worked well enough in terms of Fuku watching the plane, the cuts to the manga she has been reading, the eventual explosion of the airplane, and her first meeting with Andy. So... I have been bothered with the slow pace, and yet I prefer this series to have a slower pace to its anime for two reasons. First, so many recent anime have rushed through their plot points, My Hero Academia and Bungo Stray Dogs being two of the worst offenders I saw recently, where we gotta keep moving the plot forward, we can't pause to let characters breathe, reflect on what happened, let the audience see how... The characters are processing and understanding what happened. Just gotta get through this. We only have so many episodes this season. We're not going to let a moment linger. And if I can go off script, the fact that it's been 17 episodes of the Undead Unluck anime, like, that's a lot of episodes. They must have had a really high count for this first initial season. That bodes well in terms of having a commitment that David Pro and TMS will finish this story, and yeah, we're talking chapter 193 today of a manga that is practically two manga in one. The first manga is everything from Fukumin Andy up to the apocalypse itself happening, and the second manga series is Fuku resetting the world and reliving the history of this entire planet. That's a lot. I'm impressed to see this manga had the opportunity to finish its first story before beginning a second. It's an opportunity to let the story go where it needs to. I appreciate Shueisha and Jump giving enough confidence in this series to let it proceed, and it got reward with an anime that I hope will continue because this is a lot of story that is worth telling and worth adapting for animation. So that's my first reason why I'm okay with the slower pace. Second reason, while I think the Undead Unlug anime could make better use of the slower pace it's using, I do 
think setting up this world is necessary, given how we are going to lose this world in an apocalypse before the world is remade and recreated and changed by Fuku to be a completely different world. But there is something else bothering me about this anime. This all feels like David Production picked up Undead Unlocked Animated in part to prep themselves for the twist coming up in their other anime, Fire Force. And God, I have complained enough online about Fire Force. If I ever get to 100 episodes of Sunday Morning Manga, I'll go into more detail at that point. But for now, if I could just focus on the few things that bothered me with Fire Force and how they're souring me on Undead Unluck, when you shift from Tamaki and Fire Force, being the butt of fan service gags, Tafuko in Undead Unluck getting felt up by Andy. Yeah, I'm sour on this. I don't want to get into how Undead Unluck subverts a lot of those sexualization and objectification problems. So that'll be the discussion for another time. But yeah, my most superficial take is, is that even if I can get what they're going for with Andy and Fuko, it isn't working. When your initial introduction is, he feels her up, no, that's not working. Circling back to my previous point, Undead Unluck feels like it exists so that David Production can do the basic setup for Fire Force and pander to the Fire Force fans who are so hungry for a Soul Eater reboot that they don't know the hell that is awaiting them. In Undead Unluck, you can see a lot of what they already learned from Fire Force. CGI buildings, flight, fire effects. But then you also see what is coming up in Undead Unluck that they had to then figure out how they're also going to adapt in Fire Force. These are both two stories about what do you do when you have an apocalypse and the protagonist gets to remake the world in a new image. It works better in Undead Unluck because it doesn't feel like a undermining of everything that came before. Fuko remembers what happened before and is trying to make the world better. Fire Force was just, let's just remake this setting into Soul Eater so that we can connect these two disparate series because they have the same creator. It was a conceited marketing ploy and the creator wanting to pat himself on the back rather than feeling like a coherent narrative where Fire Force logically leads to Soul Eater. It's only going to get worse because I can see the other setup that the Undead Unluck anime is doing in preparation for Fire Force. When Undead Unluck, either in the episode proper or in the closing title sequence, has all of these live-action photographs, when I saw that, I thought not only is this lazy but i recognize oh they took those photos and the live action because they know in fire force there's going to be a live action sequence so they're gearing themselves up to figure out okay how do we incorporate live action into animation and it's going to go bad this isn't even like Pop Team Epic figuring out how do you do that and make it funny. This is how do you do it and be so pretentious and over the top to act like you're saying something meaningful when you just change media 
for the sake of a shocking twist rather than this is earned, this logically follows, this was necessary. All of what I'm rambling about is just all of this is done in Undead Unluck, I think, for the sake of getting ready for the twist coming up in Fire Force. And damn it, I really wish I wasn't thinking like that. I wish that Undead Unluck was able to stand on its own instead of it seeming obvious to me that it's being roped into the shit Fire Force is doing and that they had to do all this work in Undead Unluck knowing okay, we're going to have to do this big project in Fire Force. Let's test ourselves by forcing it into Undead Unluck first. This isn't like watching a Pixar movie where you realize, oh, first they did toys, then they did bugs, then they did monsters with hair, so that over time they could get more and more photorealistic, so that by the time they do Finding Nemo, is simultaneously cartoony, but still realistic or at least believable when looking at the ocean. This all feels more like they had an attitude of making Undead Unlock, maybe with the money that they have off of TMS and Disney, to make something that gives them the skill set and knowledge to pull it off in Fire Force. And yeah, this is now just me doing the thing I said I didn't want to do, which is once again complaining about Fire Force. So need to drop that, get back to the script. Let me wrap up with my thoughts on the anime with what it does really well and what gives me hope for the future of the series. It's largely based on what the manga took a long time to pay off and that was Fuko's progress as a character where she emerges as the chief protagonist of this series. That it's not Andy as the protagonist causing things to happen when we get to the pseudo-reboot within the series, it's Fuko who is controlling the forward momentum of this story. I do think it's a lot to ask an audience to sit through what is not one series, but actually two series due to, again, the global reboot where Fuko is the only one to remember the old world and is trying to change historical events to prevent it from happening again. But I can say... If you were to skip Undead Unluck episodes, then come back once the anime gets to its pseudo-reboot with Fuko, now as the actual lead of the series, that may be the better course. I know that's insulting to say, don't worry about the current 17 episodes, just wait until you get to, I don't even know when they're going to adapt that reboot part. So, episode 50, probably not even that, probably far later. It's not fair to the series because then you're not giving it viewership and then they don't have a reason to adapt more. But if you were to do that and say, I'm going to wait until it gets to that reboot, I don't think it would be that bad. That might be the better course because there is so much of this world building in the anime so far that can get exhausting and does get in the way of Fuko's story and in the way of actually feeling anything meaningful when characters die, when power dynamics change. The anime throws a lot at you initially in terms of alliances shifting, people coming and going, that it's a lot to follow. I think it's an easier story to read when it's Fuko experiencing this new world 
in part because she gets to see the origin stories for so many of her colleagues, and yeah, that's actually easier to follow. And that'll bring us to today's chapter in a moment, given that's Fuko witnessing Top's origin story, but to get to that chapter today, let's do a recap of what came up in the previous chapter of the manga first, then we'll get to today's live reaction. Undead Unloved Chapter 192, titled Survival of the Fittest, begins with Fuko and Julia following the path of one of Andy's fingers towards Top's location. The facts we're following Andy's fingers should be a Jujutsu Kaisen joke, but instead, what actually should have been more obvious to me is that we have Fuko and company searching for various artifacts to bring together what they need to make a wish to fix their problems. This is Dragon Ball. That should have been obvious to me when it is Fuko and Julia literally riding on a cloud through the sky. I'm going to skip over Fuko explaining how superpowers work in this story except to say it is the inverse of how things were before, where Fuko is now the one who is doting over Julia for being so young and, quote, adorable. Where before it was Fuko who needed things explained to her and was the endearing character because she's the one who needs everyone to explain what is happening. As I saw her complained about one scene in Akane Banashi last week, I appreciate the exposition here for new readers to catch up on what is happening as there are so many serialized narratives that could use those reminders without requiring something intrusive like yellow editor's boxes. But for me, if I can skip this stuff to move on to the next part of the story, I'm going to, unless there is something there to hold my attention for a gag or character progression such as, again, Foucault referring to Julia as adorable, to clarify to the audience how the power structure has changed in the relationship between Fuko and Julia. Or, there is one other beat here to try to progress characterization. When Fuko says that she killed her own family, Julia pulls her in for a hug and insists that, no, it wasn't you yourself who did, it was your ability. That's what killed your family. You had no control over something because you didn't even know it would happen. Or, there is the dangling of some new mystery in front of us. That being, Fuko saying that they all had their superpowers for some bigger reason, that they were chosen for a reason to have these powers. But before Julia or we in the audience can get that answer, we're interrupted by Top's arrival as he is going across rooftops with stolen items. Fuko notices that Top's limbs aren't injured as usual from his inability to stop. I'm going to guess that implies he has not completely unlocked his ability, which explains why the conclusions of this chapter has Fuko facing off against Top, where is the point he really lets loose. But if I may skip ahead in the story, we do get that explanation on the next pages. In the old world before the reset, Top didn't know how to stop. He could only stop by injuring himself. In this new timeline, 
Top has learned he can stop if he absorbs the force of his acceleration by kicking into something. He's moved from, I need to injure myself, to, oh, I can injure or damage something else to stop my forward momentum. We'll circle back to all of that explanation in a moment. But we had to turn back to the pages to see another scene where Haruka is trying to capture Top. So, if I can change topics to one other complaint I have about Tezuka's artwork, some characters just look too similar. There's something about the round faces and similar eyes and mouth shapes that make it hard for me to differentiate certain characters, in this case Haruka, who is trying to capture Top, and other characters such as Andy. So you have Andy and Haruka, they all just look too similar to me. I blame some of this on the way Tozuka draws smiles, as even Top's smile here looks too similar to the slasher smiles that Andy and even Fuko give. It made sense that, oh, Fuko's looking more like Andy because she's taking on his role. That makes visual sense to communicate a message. Top, just having the same smile as Andy and Haruka, or sorry, as Andy and Fuko, kind of saps the importance, the meaning of it. It just becomes, this is how Tozuka draws a slasher smile. There's not enough variation. I can appreciate the silhouette variations that Tozuka brings to their characters. It's just when it comes to faces, something looks way too similar between all of them. Anyway, back to the plot. Fuko is trying to figure out why Top now has a new way to stop his acceleration. Haruka explains that while Fuko was busy with other work, she interfered in Top's timeline so that rather than sticking with track and field at school, Top quit running, which is what prevented the tragedy that ruined Top's future and required him to injure himself to stop running. We cut to Top's backstory where it turns out his mother has a, quote, contagious disease. So she and her son are forced to live on the outskirts of town where Top keeps stealing from people and his mom thinks that's wrong. I'm going to suppress my complaints as this feels awkward. It's trying to set up that Top is just as bad as the people who exiled his mother because he steals from them when no, that is not a fair comparison. Like, I have a ton of problems with Nami in One Piece being a thief where it seems like she is just greedy for the sake of greediness, but that isn't even what we have here. I can't really get behind Top's mother saying, quote, we are a part of a society, when this is so silly. After all that they are going through, and now we draw the lines at thievery when... It is a set of laws that are leaving Top and his mother desolate and abandoned rather than cared for. Also, as I have not read this manga as closely each week as I should, is this new information that Top's mother was ill? Because it seems like a tacky cliche to toss in for immediate characterization. Oh, Top is this way because his mother is dying. It's not working for me. I can appreciate that Undead Unluck is a series that acknowledges its cliches often, 
Fuko, after all, is a big shoujo manga fan. She meets the creator of her favorite series. There is enough talk about the structure of a story. But whereas that meta-commentary is an opportunity to be clever, here with Tapa and his mother, this is such a cliché that it drags this part of the story to a halt. It's not helped that the lack of variations in faces takes me out of the story. We get two panels, one with Top's mother, one with Top, both facing the same direction in terms of how the viewer is looking, each with the exact same face. At least here, I could understand the faces being the same because it's Top and his mother. Of course, they have similar faces. It should be clever to have one panel after the other to show that they're having the same thought and feelings. The problem is, is that it violates that 180 degree rule of camera work, so the paneling is awkward. Instead of one panel leading to the other, it comes across more like you could have just had them each facing each other in the panels to communicate they're looking at each other. Why are they each looking in the same direction? Oh, and then Tom's mother says he has to respect society's rules. He just answers that those rules are for humans. He's actually a, quote, beast. And that is why this chapter has a title drawn from social Darwinism. Yay, all the things I hate in one chapter. Curse my bad luck. Top tries to prove his point that he's made for the wild, not civilization, by going out for a run, dodging and attacking the forest threats. That is until Fuko shows up with a gun, telling Top that if he really wants to live in a world without rules, then she'll just shoot him until he's ready to talk. Thanks to Fuko's combat training, she's able to predict his moves, this unlocks Top's ability as Fuko flashes a slasher smile, says Andy's trademark line sick, and now we're caught up for today's chapter, chapter 193 of Undead Unluck. The series is written and illustrated by Yoshifumi Tozuka, translated into English by David Evelyn, with lettering by Michelle Pang. Undead Unluck is licensed by Viz and can be read at viz.com. We begin with a flashback to three years ago. We are finally getting the explanation that Haruka gave in the previous chapter about how she stopped Top from running. I'll be curious to see where this goes because I don't know why we're getting the flashback. I thought Haruka's explanation was actually sufficient. I kind of enjoyed one of the rare moments of no, you didn't explain this well enough. It's like, no, that was a fine explanation. I don't need to see it represent. Let's keep the plot moving forward with what Fuko is up to. Given that the chapter title for today, chapter 193, is titled Unstoppable vs. Unluck, I mean, it sounds like we're going to keep up with what Fuko was up to, but yeah, just a weird opening. In any case, Haruka is very complimentary, or rather very polite when introducing herself to Top. Top's classmates are surprised by this track and field intervention. And then we immediately cut back to the present, which 
yeah, this is taking me out of the story. It turns out this was set up only so that Top could explain to Fuko that she is only the second person to stop his acceleration. Yeah, we already knew that. We heard Haruka say that in the previous chapter. I don't need this explained again. If anything to appreciate in the artwork, I do appreciate how much energy and line work is put into the two-page panel spread of Top slamming into Fuko. If there is any complaint I have, this is that minor complaint that can happen with black and white artwork. There are so many dark shapes to Fuko, her dark hair, her dark sleeves on her shirt, that it is difficult for me to read this here visually. We have a lot of white space here for the sound effects, for the motion lines of top running and slamming into Fuko. That's all good and readable. We have some grays in the background to represent the trees. That's all good. I would have liked more of a contrast done between Fuko and top here. If it was me, given that we can already tell differences in body shape, character design, hairstyle, including skin tone between the two characters, I would have gotten rid of the darkness on Fuko's attire and just left it as grays and whites and kept the black on top or top's jacket. Because it was really hard for me to make out on page three seeing that, oh, there's Fuko. It's hard to spot her because I can see Top, I can see Top slamming. It took me longer than I wanted to recognize the shapes as here's the back of Fuko as she's being slammed backwards. Top realizes that since Fuko can stop him, then that means the two of them have similar superpowers so they should team up. It's funny to me that that's Top's thought process when I mean, Haruka also has a superpower, and he didn't think to recruit her. Granted, he explains here that she's trying to play a superhero, a good guy. That's not what he's up for. He wants to work with Fuko so that they can avoid the police and act outside of society's rules. Uh, it's just a little weird. It kind of works because... If Top's experiences with superpowered people are only Fuko and Haruka, and he's desperate for companionship, then okay, I get him wanting to recruit Fuko because he tried with Haruka and it didn't work. It's just a weird set of dialogue to try to move this plot forward as fast as possible, where Fuko is the older, wiser one who is trying to inform Top. No, you're getting this wrong. I'm not here to work with you to break laws. I'm here to recruit you. Fuko tries to talk Top down, saying that their superpowers are not to be abused like this. I appreciate that the series has made sure that characters like Fuko can take a lot of damage and keep moving. In any case, we can see that she quickly pulled off her glove during the kick that Top delivered. What confuses me is that we see that his foot collided with her hands, but that was with her left hand. It's her right hand that she had partially ungloved. I would have to go back to the previous chapter to see when she managed to touch him with her bare skin, because in any case, she was able to activate her bad luck. 
Top also has a small bit of dialogue here saying, quote, what's with you Japanese women when referring to Fuko and Haruka? Eh, uh, there's not much I can do about that. It's not the worst line you can deliver because you do understand where Top is coming from and it's not a moment where you're supposed to agree with him. The bad luck gets triggered, but it's bad luck that I'm having a little difficulty following in the visual action and then I'm having to look at Top's explanation as he's narrating to himself that the trees all started falling. It's a little hard to read when Top is running around to avoid the trees. It's mostly sound effects and action lines to communicate the tree fell. I wish this had been, for lack of better phrasing, animated better in the paneling. Anyway, I do like the background gag that Fuko already left and was already behind him. It's a nice treat to the viewer for paying attention aided by having the word balloon, a really big word balloon, coming out of the little tiny figure of Fuko up in the air, ready to descend onto him. Fuko grabs onto Top. Top, again, is falling into the, we're making him unlikable by having him say things that we can understand why he's saying them, even as we don't like it. First was complaining about Japanese women. The next one is referring to Fuko as some chick. Yeah, again, we get where it's coming from. This is the kind of speech he would have. It is making him unappealing, but that's kind of the point. We now have Top going into Shigaraki mode, where after he manages to get Fuko off of him, he says he knows why he has this ability, and it is because the world turned its back on him and his mom. That's why he has this power, so that he can, quote, seek revenge. A little weird phrasing to hear someone who just kept using a word, a phrase like some chicks, to use something like seek revenge. Sounds a little too high. Maybe get revenge, but I am nitpicking wildly over the word choice here. It doesn't change the meaning, it would just change the tone of the character. As Top goes into Shigaraki mode saying that he lost his opportunity to compete in track and field. His mother has been exiled due to being sick. That's why he has been given this ability. This is a little too switch for me that he is... I mean, for me, we haven't gotten enough of Top to really follow how this becomes. He always followed by the rules. This is what he got. Now, I haven't read the manga as closely as I need to, haven't watched the anime as closely as I needed to. If Top in the initial chapters was rule-abiding and very much obsessed with following things to the letter, this would work better that we would have already seen he was someone who followed the rules, so we would get why he is so angry. We would understand why he is so upset that after following the rules for so long, he got punished for it. Fuko then notices that for all Top's complaining, he hasn't noticed that he's already bandaged, which, yeah, is something I didn't notice either until right now. And that Top now has a new pair of shoes on that he didn't notice before. Fuko's bad luck causes an avalanche. 
which makes Top realize that Avalanche is heading towards where his mom is. This causes him to panic and realize that if he had been more responsible and didn't just go out for a run, he wouldn't have triggered Fuko, there wouldn't have been this avalanche that's going to kill his mom. But then he sees that Haruka already picked up Top's mother to save her. But then Top runs so much faster, right past where Haruka is, that Haruka has to leap forward to absorb the entire impacts before Top was unable to stop. We end the chapter with the arrival of Beast Phase 2, someone who crash-landed onto the Earth. I'm going to have to pause here and check something because this I'm not understanding. I'm not remembering Beast. Now, that is what Top referred to himself as, so... Beast is the Yuma that embodies Beast, known as Night Master. So I'm already forgetting characters. That's on me, not on the story itself. So yeah, I guess this should have been obvious to me that if Top was constantly referring to himself as a beast and that this is about survival of the fist, then it makes sense that, of course, that would be the next opponent. So decent foreshadowing. I appreciate it. If I had complaints about this chapter, I would have gotten rid of Arka blocking Top earlier or moot that elsewhere back into the previous chapter because having Haruka do it again should be amusing. And for me anyway, it just wasn't. It felt a little repetitive. Hi, me from the future jumping in. I didn't notice until after reading the comment section for this chapter of Undead Unluck over at the Viz website, or else I would have noticed how this chapter ends with Top calling out to Haruka, who looks to be bleeding from the ears, implying that the force of Top's impact deafened her. I have mixed reactions on this point. On the one hand, I had said that I was wondering why chapter 193 started with what we already knew, that Haruka stopped Top from experiencing tragedy from unlocking his ability. On the other hand, now we get into the realm of Haruka potentially having lost her hearing. I tend to get worried when a comic represents this ability, whether it will be respectful or full of harmful cliches, and how, as someone who isn't hearing impaired, whether I am in any position to offer criticism on these points, I had to suspend judgment to see where the story goes next for Haruka. What really bothers me in this chapter is my own failure to read the actions of Top calling out to Haruka and Haruka bleeding from the ears. At best, I can overlook my failures and shrug, saying that I do these chapter live reactions as just that, my immediate response to what I see for the first time on the page. That is my failure of reading. At worst, if I may be petty, it is not as if I think this was the best staging for this moment. At worst, if I may be petty, it is not as if I think this was the best staging for this moment. I appreciate Tozuka being subtle and not trying to make something tragic or overly rot out of Haruka's injury and potential future as disabled, 
but I also think the framing is rather bad here because I was so distracted by Beast Arrival and that taking up the action that I overlooked the word balloons atop in the distance calling out to Haruka and Haruka not being able to hear. My complaint is not that Tozuka avoided something tragic or overly wrought, I appreciate that, but my complaint is that the action of Top calling out to Haruka is not as easily readable on these pages, and rather than a problem only of my quick reading, it is not made clear on the page, because Beast is taking up so much of the spotlight that everything else is off to the side. In animation, upon adaptation, this probably will be much easier to read, if not audibly, then because I'll have English subtitles on for the Japanese dub and probably English closed captioning on in the English dub to more clearly see and hear what is happening. But for the comics page, I do think this was a missed opportunity. I'll wrap up there. Thank you for listening to another episode of Sunday Morning Manga. Are you as sour as I am about some of the plot details in Undead Unluck and some of the supposed pretentiousness of its anime adaptation? Let me know your thoughts in the comment section or email me, derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please let me know. Contributions at coffee.com slash derekesmcgrath and patreon.com slash derekesmcgrath are appreciated. Please include a note to let me know what you liked in the episode and what you would like to hear more of. And your contributions give you the opportunity to recommend works for me to cover each week. You can join other coffee and Patreon contributors such as Emily Lauer, Alec Roach, and Alexis Duran. Thank you all for your support. And if you like what you heard or didn't like what you heard, please check out Other People's Awesome Stuff. A blog roll of recommended people to check out is at my site, DerekSMcGrath.wordpress.com, and here's where I get all political again. I have a lot to recommend this week, and it has to do with the politics of the Walt Disney Company. And that's because Undead Unluck is distributed by Disney. And yeah, I'm hoping this is less I want to get guilt out of my system and say, while giving money to a company whose political viewpoints I abhor, and I'm saying all of this as a way to exercise that out of my system, I hope I have another reason to bring this up, that I hope this encourages us to recognize corporations make big mistakes, but they had the opportunity to do the right thing, and then they don't because they need to be regulated and can't be trusted to act properly without supervision. And... Before I continue, I'm going to have to repeat this over and over again. The views and opinions expressed by me are my opinions, not those of anyone else I mentioned or will mention. What I have to criticize about Disney is what I have to criticize about Disney. And take all of this with enough understanding that I'm part of the problem. Paying for Hulu to watch Undead Unluck means that I gave Disney money to keep doing a lot of right-wing bullshit I don't appreciate. I briefly touched upon my complaints with Disney distributing Undead Unluck given how sour I am on Disney's failures at being anti-bigotry as they would rather throw women and people of color under the bus in a pathetic attempt to court right-wing buffoons. That's how I phrase it, it's not how the people I'm going to recommend phrase it, so... 
I have to do my best to emphasize what is my point of view and what the people I'm signing actually say because I'm going to be pretty negative against Disney and don't want to put words into the mouths of anyone else. Let's go through these recommendations. First recommendation, the YouTube channel Pillar of Garbage has an excellent video taking down Disney executive Bob Iger for apparently throwing film director Nia DaCosta under the bus when her film The Marvels didn't make as much money as hoped for, and pointing the blame on anti-bigotry messages for not making enough money. So, let me say this, not what Pillar of Garbage is saying, but what I'm saying. Fuck you, Bob Iger. In any case, I am failing to adequately summarize Pillar of Garbage's point that blaming politics and diversity for Disney's lower revenues is just a straight-up lie. Check out their video on YouTube to learn more, and please visit their Patreon at patreon.com slash pillar of garbage. Second recommendation, Bob Chipman, Movie Bob. I'm pausing here to let people get their animosity towards Chipman out of their system. Chipman has a video about how Disney got itself into this mess, trying to cater to the right and therefore pissing off the left. Disney is a corporation. Disney is not your friend. And since I took that Disney is a corporation, not your friend remark from someone else, if I can include a third recommendation, it would be Tony Goldmark's video about the necessary changes to Splash Mountain, but also how those necessary changes are for corporate profits, not to be anti-bigotry. For me, personally, this is all the more difficult to tolerate when, forget this diatribe, I saw a good interview with Disney-employed inventor Lanny Smoot about all the tech he has created and helped develop, including lightsabers and holodecks, and Smoot ended the interview, emphasizing the value of inclusiveness in the sciences. Smoot correctly points out the value of all facets of life needing to be welcoming to people of all racial and ethnic identities. And yet, in my opinion, Disney as a corporation has undermined such work to welcome all people of all racial and ethnic identities into all facets of our lives. This anti-diversity, anti-equity, anti-inclusiveness bullshit is harming our economy, our technology, our humanity, our respect for other people, and I do not tolerate a company like Disney caving into right-wing dipshits. And I really do not appreciate people dancing on the early grave of Disney because they want to see the company fail when Sorry, I want to see that company get its head out of its ass and be an advocate for what they act like they are, for diversity, for inclusiveness, for equity, when all of that is undermined by their bullshit corporate ass-kissing to right-wing bigots and dumbasses. So, that's my diatribe about Disney, and I don't want to end with just, with just doom and gloom. I want to recommend what we can do. Not going to act like giving Disney money to watch Undead Unluck is helping send a message, although I think it is appropriate to take political action. For now, all I'll recommend is what I'm going to talk about now until November, which is to check your eligibility to vote, and if you can vote, to register and keep checking your registration at vote.org. And I'm going to encourage everyone to visit postcardstovoters.org to help campaign for Democrats so that we can kick Republicans out of office.
that's all for this weekend. Next time, let's talk about Blue Box Chapter 136. Schedule updates will be posted at youtube.com slash Derek S. McGrath. Until next time, stay safe out there, people. Make sure to mask up, get vaccinated, install ad blockers, register to vote, campaign against fascism and against war and against ethnic cleansing and against genocide and against terrorism and learn and practice anti-bigotry. I've been Derek S. McGrath. You have a good afternoon. Bye. Sunday Morning Manga is intended for information and entertainment purposes only. It is not endorsed by any companies mentioned, any persons mentioned, or any financial contributors mentioned. All names, pictures, and sounds are registered trademarks and or copyrights to their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content is the intellectual property of the speaker unless otherwise indicated. The views and opinions expressed are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any other persons mentioned in this episode. Aside from the names of Patreon and coffee contributors, other persons, businesses, organizations, or entities mentioned in this episode are not sponsors of this episode. My remarks about those persons, businesses, organizations, and entities are not paid endorsements. Music today includes the tracks Los Angeles by Musa Production, Sunshine by Lemon Music Studio, and News Time by Monument underscore Music. These tracks are royalty-free and available at Pixabay. Links are in the description.